last time we talked about the benefits of, of Dhamma and of practicing Dhamma. This time we'd like to talk about the Dhamma itself. Obviously these two things are, are connected. First we talk about the benefits of Dhamma in order to, to get you a bit interested in it. And then now we'll talk about the Dhamma and the practice of it. We, we have to use this ancient Indian word Dhamma or Tamma or in Sanskrit Dharma. It's quite difficult to translate into English. There aren't really any acceptable terms available. And so we can't avoid using the original word even though it, it comes from a language unfamiliar to us. Even in Thai, it's impossible to avoid using this word. The Thais just pronounce it in their own way, Tama or Tam, but still have to use this old Indian word. There are various translations used in Thai, but none of them are able to capture the full meaning of the word Tama. And so, it's in the end, we have to get familiar with this word and, and learn about it in the old language. Literally, the word Dhamma comes from the word to bear, to bear in the sense of to support or to carry. So Dhamma means to bear or more specifically is the thing that can bear itself, can uphold itself, can support itself. This is what we call Dhamma. And also, the Dhamma not only bears or supports itself, it can also bear, uphold those who follow it, those who practice it. So the meaning of the word Dhamma is that which can bear itself, support itself, maintain itself and that can bear support and maintain those who, who live according to it, who practice it. So Dhamma means that which can bear support. Now if you know of any word in English or German or French or whatever of the other languages can, that can express this meaning in full, then please let us know. But until we can find such a word, we'll have to, we'll have to use the word Dhamma itself. Now when we, we use this Thai word Song Wai, which I'm translating to, to bear, to support, when we use this, we can use it in two ways. The first is to, to, to bear, to carry, to maintain from death, meaning to, to prevent, to support one so that one survives physically. This is the first aspect. The other is to, to bear or to maintain one free of dukkha, free of suffering and misery. This is the second meaning. So when we talk about bearing or maintaining, it has these two aspects, maintaining one above death, 
and the other maintaining one above above dukkha. We can sometimes even use the word to save. Dhamma is that which saves us from, on one hand, death, and on the other hand, Dhamma is that which saves us from suffering, from misery, from dukkha. Now, when we've talked about this meaning to bear, we've talked actually just about the benefits, the the value or the advantage of the word Dhamma. We haven't really talked about what what it is itself, what is what really is is Dhamma. When we talk about Song Wai or to to bear it to bear itself or to maintain itself, we can actually talk about everything, all the things that, that fill up the universe, all the things that fill up our lives are, are Dhamma. Dhamma in the sense that all these things, whether they're subject to causes and conditions or beyond causes and conditions, all these things maintain themselves or exist in one way or another. And so they, they bear themselves, they maintain themselves, and so we call all things can be called Dhamma. Some things maintain themselves, bear themselves, dependent on causes and conditions. And so they're, they're Dhammas that, that bear themselves according to causes and conditions. They have an existence dependent on causes and conditions. But then there's also something which bears itself, maintains itself above and beyond causes and conditions. And so this is another kind or way of bearing itself. Some things in maintaining themselves or existing would be a simple way of saying it. In their existence, they exist subject to constant change, constant flux. And so this this bearing of itself is one that is an existence of constant change. Their fundamental nature is one of constant change. But then there's this other thing that is beyond causes and conditions. And so it bears itself in a way that is not subject to change. And so its, its fundamental nature is that of, of non-change. And so whether we talk about phenomena, those things subject to causes and conditions that are constantly changing, or the noumenon, that which is beyond causes and conditions. All of these things can be called dhamma, because one way or another they, they bear themselves, they, they maintain themselves. All the things that a human being can come to know whether subject to causes and conditions or beyond causes, all these things are included in the word Dhamma. Now whether these things are of the, the nature that we would call material, things that are, are physical material things, or whether they, they have to do with the mind, things that we would call mental, or even those things which are both above above body in mind, something that is much more subtle, which we could say of in the realm of, of wisdom, 
of intuitive wisdom, or we might use the word spiritual. All, all three areas of reality, whether physical, mental, or spiritual, all of these are, must still be called Dhamma. All of them are equally belonging to the term Dhamma. Even that, that thing which has no real substance or essence, that which we call time, even time fits within the term Dhamma. Or if we speak in terms of size, from the smallest subatomic particle all the way up to the largest existing thing in the universe, all of these things bear themselves one way or another and so they're called Dhamma. And so now you can see why we have to use the original word because there's just no word existing in English or other languages that encompass all these meanings of Dhamma. But still sometimes when we're forced to translate Dhamma, we can translate it as, as nature. Now, obviously, the word nature doesn't capture all the significance of, of Dhamma, but if we're forced to use it, we, we can use it, although, of course, there are some people who give a very limited sense to the word nature. But if we understand nature properly, then it at least is a, it's a halfway decent translation of Dhamma. Now, in English and probably other European language, we might, besides the word nature, we have the word, we have the word unnatural or non-natural, and we have the word supernatural. But in, in the old Indian languages, none of these words exist. There is just this one word, Dhamma, and it would include everything that in English that is called nature or unnatural or even supernatural. In Dhamma, all of this is natural, or Dhamma. Now, if you can see that everything is just nature, or, or Dhamma, then you'll see that there's nothing anywhere that is a soul, or an ego, or any, any permanent self-existing entity. You'll see that there are no such things. You just can't find any such a thing. Everything that exists, everything that bears itself, is, is nature, is Dhamma. Now the reason for, for talking about this is we'd like for you all to see that everything is just Dhamma, is just nature. And if you can see things in this way, then you'll you realize that there's nothing that is a soul or a self or an ego or whatever word you try to call it. If we can see that all is just nature, then then this word soul, or in Pali it was called atta, in Sanskrit atman, can be translated ego, self, soul, something that is the essence of, of who or what we are. If we see that everything is just nature, is dhamma, then we'll see that this self or soul is just an illusion, that things are not self or soul or atta, instead they're anatta, anatta, not self, not soul, 
non-ego. Everything is is non non-egoistic, non-personal. If we can see things correctly in this way, then we'll stop clinging to things, we'll stop attaching to them. And then when we when we seize this this clinging and grabbing and attaching, then there is a very wonderful benefit that arises. And this is there's no suffering, there's no misery or pain in in human life. Although we said at the start that there's no word that can really translate the word Dhamma, we ask that you'll allow us to use the word nature. We can't we can't find anything better, any other translation better than the word nature. Nature, as most people understand it, may not completely explain the word Dhamma. So let's say that we'll we'll use it with a special meaning. You could say Buddhist nature or whatever, some nature, a special nature with an extra meaning that can include all of what Dhamma means. This is the first the first meaning or the first aspect of the meaning of the word Dhamma, nature. But nature in a way that you may have never thought of before. Now the nature that is most important for us to know and understand is the nature that is inside, the internal nature. All the natures that are outside, you can put them aside for the time being. They're, they're not so important. The, the nature that you really need to understand is the, the one inside. Whether talking about the physical nature, the, the, the body, the material nature, or, or the mental natures, or spiritual nature, that, that has to do with awareness and intuitive wisdom. All of these inner natures are the ones that we have to have to know. And if you study these inner natures correctly, then you don't have to worry about the external ones. They're, they're the same as the ones inside. So take a good look at the ones inside, and then you'll come to understand the external natures also. So from, from studying and looking inside, one can understand all natures, whether the nature of, of human beings or way up on the high level of if they actually exist, the nature of, of angels and, and celestial beings and such things. And then the nature of, of animals, dogs, cats, even the nature of, of trees and plants, down all the way to the nature of inanimate objects, things that are not alive one can understand the nature of all these things. So all these things are, are called nature in, in the first meaning. The second meaning of the word Dhamma is the law of nature or the truth of nature, the fact of nature. All these natures we've been talking about have within them the second meaning of Dhamma, which is the law of nature. In the word nature, 
you, if you look carefully, you'll see that within it there is also this meaning of the law of nature. The law of nature or truth of nature is that, that which controls or, that which controls or regulates all of nature. All of nature, all the things we've mentioned so far, are subject to the law of nature. You could say controlled by or, or regulated by. Now in some religions they might call this thing God and explain it in their own way. But for us, this thing that controls all of nature is, is just the law of nature. It's actually, it's part of nature, but it's that part of nature which controls all of nature. And so this brings us to the second meaning of the word Dhamma, the law of nature. Now all the natures that you know of, all of them without any exception, are subject to natural law. And there's no nature that you could find which is not subject to, to natural law. All aspects, every, everything included in the word nature, is under control of, of the law of nature. There's no exception to this law. And so obviously it's something of great importance which we should get to know. And so when there are all these natures which are without exception subject to the law of nature, this gives us the third meaning of the word dhamma, which is duty. The third meaning of dhamma is duty. Duty in accordance with the law of nature. All these natures, these things, have a duty regarding the law of nature, a duty towards the law of nature. This duty of all natures regarding, in accordance with, the law of nature is the third meaning of Dhamma. Without, without doing duty correctly, these, these natures will die. If we don't do, do this duty regarding the law of nature in accordance with the law of nature, then we will die. Or, if we don't die physically, then we would, we would live with, with suffering, pain, and misery, which is just about the same as being dead. So without duty, there is, there is death, either physical death or spiritual death. So this third meaning of, of the word Dhamma is a very crucial one for us. It's, it's this duty in accordance with natural law that we're spending so much time studying and which we're trying to practice. If we're able to understand and practice this duty correctly, then there is no death, whether physical or spiritual. The, we survive both physically and we live without suffering. This is if we correctly follow the duty with, in accordance with the law of nature. Now when there is, when duty is practiced correctly in line with the law of nature, then there arises the fourth meaning of the word Dhamma. This fourth meaning is, is fruit 
or, or result. If the duty is done correctly, then there naturally arises certain results. And then we can take the opportunity to accept these fruits of performing the duty correctly. And this brings us to the fourth meaning of the word Dhamma. Just do that duty correctly and certain results will occur. You can call them advantages or benefits or value or whatever, but these are just the natural results of doing the duty according to the law of nature. These fruits or results are the fourth meaning of the word Dhamma. Anapanasati, which we're practicing here, this mindfulness with breathing, is essentially the duty, the third meaning of Dhamma, which we've talked about. Through doing this duty, through practicing anapanasati, then there arises the fourth meaning. There will be certain results, certain natural fruits that occur from practicing correctly. Now, the human being is inevitably involved with all four meanings of the word Dhamma. These are just, these are the essence and core of human life. All meanings, all four meanings of the word Dhamma. And don't forget that all four of these meanings of Dhamma are within us. You can find Nature, you can find the law of nature, duty according to the law of nature, and the fruits of that duty. You can find all four of these meanings of Dhamma within ourselves. If you look, look carefully, look correctly, you'll find all the meanings of Dhamma complete within yourself. Although some of you may have a little difficulty with the Pali language, we'd like to to give you four words that come from Pali that, that correspond to these meanings of the word Dhamma. If you can understand these, this will help you to, to appreciate what Dhamma is about. The first of these is Sabhava Dhamma. This, this refers to nature, to, to all, all things. Sa means self. Bhava means existing, so self-existing things, all these things which exist by themselves, which bear themselves. This is what we call nature, sabhava-dhamma, is the Pali word for the first meaning. Then the second meaning is sacha-dhamma. Sacha means truth, so it's sacha-dhamma is the truth of nature, the truth of all these natures the reality of them all, Sacha Dhamma. When there is the Sabhava Dhammas and the Sacha Dhamma within all of them, in all these natures, you find this fundamental truth which, which is always operating and which controls all these natures. When, there is, when things exist in this way according to, to truth, the truth of nature, then there is the third meaning, bhati-bhati dhamma. Bhati-bhati means that which must be done, that which has to be done 
It's often translated practice, which is a little bit, little bit weak. Bhati bhati dhamma is that which must be done in, in line with the, the truth of all these self-existing things. And then when bhati bhati dhamma is, is followed correctly, is performed correctly, this brings us to bhati veta dhamma, bhati veta dhamma. Bhatiweta means to, to realize, to experience directly the fruits of, of that practice of doing what must be done. If, if all these natures will do, will simply do what must be done, then there automatically arises the Bhatiweta Dhamma, the direct realization of the results of that, that practice. So, you can find these are the four Pali words that correspond to the four meanings of the word Dhamma. Sapava Dhamma, these self-existing things or more simply all these natures. Sacha Dhamma, the truth of nature. Bhatibhati Dhamma, that which must be done, the duty. And then Bhatiweta Dhamma, the Dhamma that is directly realized, directly experienced by those who do what must be done. You can find all four of these meanings in the word Dhamma, and the way to find this Dhamma is to look within yourself. So please do your best to understand these four meanings of the word Dhamma, or, or we could say these four Dhammas. You need to, to get to the bottom of all, all four of them. These, these four meanings these four dhammas are something that are things which we encounter every day, every hour of our lives. We're constantly meeting up with these dhammas. And so then it's absolutely necessary that we manage correctly, that we deal correctly with all four meanings of dhamma. If we can't do this, then the inevitable result will be death. If we can't deal with all the aspects of dhamma, then we'll die. Either a physical death, where they stick us in a, a coffin or burn us or whatever, or mental death, where we go crazy, go neurotic, psychotic, or, or spiritual death, where we may survive physically and mentally, but we're constantly tormented by suffering in pain. If we can't deal with these four meanings of Dhamma, then the result will, will be death. So we ought to try to understand them so that we can manage correctly in, in accordance with these four meanings. The practice of anapanasati will give us the knowledge and will give us the skills, the tools we need to, to deal with all the meanings of the word dhamma. So anapanasati will enable us to, to deal correctly with all the meanings of dhamma, and then there won't, we won't have any problems, any difficulties with any of them. You should, you should realize quite easily, for example, that the breath is, is a nature. It's a self-existing thing, a, a natural thing, which corresponds to the first meaning of the word Dhamma. 
And then this, there is the fact that this breath is necessary for life. Without the breathing to sustain and support life, then the body dies. And so there is this second meaning of Dhamma, the law of nature is expressed in the fact that without the breathing, we die. And when there is this fact in our lives, then it becomes necessary that the breathing be managed correctly, that we breathe properly in a healthy way, that we exercise and, and train or whatever the breathing properly. And this gives us the third meaning of Dhamma, which is duty. And then if this duty is done properly, then there arises the results of, of well-being, of, of, good, of good health, of a peaceful, relaxed body. This is the fourth meaning of the word Dhamma. So just in the breathing, you can find all four of these meanings of the word Dhamma. This is one simple example of what Anapanasati has to offer and how it applies to all the meanings of Dhamma. If you can get into these things properly and understand them, then you can solve all, all problems regarding them. Or if we put it another way, we can say that if one practices Anapanasati correctly, then one will fully understand all four meanings of the word Dhamma. If we can develop this practice of mindfulness with breathing fully, then, then you'll have all four meanings of the word Dhamma within your fist. You'll, you'll be able to manage and control them all without, without any problems. When we can use Anapanasati in this way, then you'll see that it's, it's not something to do just now and again. It's not just something to do for a 10-day period. It's something that needs to be done for the, for the rest of our lives. In order to maintain this understanding and proper management of all the meanings of Dhamma, we'll have to just keep on doing this for the rest of our lives. If we can do this, will realize certain benefits which are appropriate to saying of, are of a nature that we could say it's like having a new life. Through using mindfulness of, with breathing to deal with all the meanings of the word nature correctly, it'll be like having a new life. There won't be any, any problems, any difficulties, any pains left anymore. And so we can call it a new life. And so this is why we should give special attention to, to learning what we need to do and how to do it regarding all the meanings of the word Dhamma. And then learn how to use Anapanasati to do so successfully. There's one more thing that you should know right from this moment. Although you it may be a while until you fully understand this. We should tell you right from the start that all of the meanings of the word Dhamma have nothing to do with positive or negative. There's nothing positive or negative to 
regarding any of these meanings of the word Dhamma. Now, people are a bit foolish, and so they go around judging this or evaluating this is positive and that is negative. This is something that people assume themselves, that human beings make up for themselves. But in each of these Dhammas, there's nothing about them that has either a positive or a negative character. People like to say that the fruits of doing doing the duty according to the law of nature, people like to say that this is positive, but this is a misunderstanding. Really what happens is people just take the things that please them <clears throat> and label them as positive, and then the things that don't please them they take to be negative. They just judge things in this very foolish and superficial way as positive and negative. But if you really look at things, you'll see that they're just nature. They just occur naturally according to natural rules, natural laws. It's all natural, happening naturally. And so there's nothing positive or negative about any of it. But if we go around judging according to our preferences and prejudices, then we start to, to see things as positive and negative. And then we grab onto them, we cling to them. And then this is the cause of all kinds of pain and suffering in our lives. If we just look more carefully and see that there's nothing positive or negative about any of these dhammas, then, then there wouldn't be any problem. This is something to, to take interest in from the very start. If we can practice anapanasati with this kind of, this kind of understanding, then we won't, then we'll have a very successful practice. So we should look very carefully into our, into ourselves and, and see what's going on there. Are we, in fact, still infatuated with what we take to be positive and negative? Are we still clinging onto things foolishly as positive and negative, good and bad, or what have you? If we are, then we'll, we'll have all kinds of problems in our, our practice of Dhamma will not go on very successfully. If we're still judging things according to what pleases us and displeases us, taking this to be positive and that to be negative, then we won't have any freedom within ourselves. If we're looking on things as positive and negative, as good and bad, as desirable or undesirable, then we'll be always at their mercy will be slaves to them. We won't have any true freedom within ourselves. With all this positivism and negativism, we'll be constantly blindly reacting to things. We'll be just little robots reacting constantly without any real freedom. When there's this slavery to things in this way, in this lack of freedom, then there's tremendous pain and suffering in life. And so we need to, but if we can, can understand that all, instead of all that positive and negative that we foolishly assume to exist, if we see that in reality none of that is there, if we can use 
anapanasati to lead to an understanding of these four meanings of dhamma, then we can use that knowledge to knock away, to to chase away any any meaning of the word positive or the word negative. And then when we're free of the power of the meanings of positive and negative, good and bad, winning and losing, getting and and whatever, when none of these have any power over us, then there's no problems and then there is true freedom. If if we're still indulging in positive and negative and getting caught up with these these preferences of ours, then there's nothing that really can help us. We'll constantly be slaves to to all these these things. And so then they'll they'll be able to make us laugh and cry. We we won't have any control over that. We'll be laughing and crying. Or these positive and negative things can make us glad, they can make us sad. And there's no real freedom in this. We just blindly react to all these things. However, through understanding Dhamma, instead of all this blind reacting, this gladness and sadness, laughing and crying, we can we can just stay normal, ordinary, regular. And in this this normalcy there is there is complete freedom. This is the result of of practicing and understanding Dhamma, of getting to Dhamma. And then we can use this Dhamma to to stay normal, to stay regular, instead of getting caught up in all this positive and negative. This this Dhamma that we're talking about right now is a very a very special one. And there's a special word to to describe it, it's called Adamayata. Adamayata. You've probably never heard heard of this word before, and though it'll take you a while till you fully understand it, or some of you will never understand it unless you really investigate it. We'd we'd like you to hear it now so you can work on it. The word Adamayata. It represents that state or condition of the mind where no, nothing positive or negative can influence it, where nothing positive or, there's nothing positive or negative to have any power over the mind. This condition of the mind we call Adamayata, Adamayata. This understanding that leads to Adamayata is what, what we're doing here. This is what it's all about. Some of you, maybe you're not interested in this. Some of you maybe still think that all these, this positive and negative is something desirable and worthwhile. If that's the case, then we, we don't really understand what, what you're doing here. The purpose of Dhamma, the purpose of meditation, is to come to the realization of Dhamma, that is a Dhammayada, where not, there's nothing positive or negative to to enslave the mind. If this doesn't interest you, then there's probably no real need for you to be here. If you don't care about this this freedom, this peace that comes with Adamayada, with the normal natural mind, then then we don't know what you're doing here. So 
We'd like you to understand this, this carefully, this freedom from positive and negative. This is what the Dhamma is all about. Most of you have probably heard the words, the holy man before. This word, the holy man, is actually quite common in many places. It gets, it gets used quite a bit. If you'd like to understand these words correctly, however, we'd like to suggest to you that the holy man, the real holy man, is the one who has a dhammayata. The one who has a dhammayata is beyond all positive and negative. There's nothing positive or negative to pull or push on, on the mind of the one we call the holy man. The holy man or the holy person, holy woman, whatever, is completely free of all this positive and negative, good and bad, and all that. So this is the true meaning of the holy man, one who has a dhammayada. Some of you may think that that's a little bit too far. It's beyond what, what the ordinary holy man or whatever can achieve. But these are just the facts. Whether you want to think it's too much or too little is up to you. But these are the facts of the matter. And once we can understand this, there remains just that we follow in the footsteps of the true holy ones. And through following their footsteps, we can come to that, that condition, the condition of having a dhammayada, being beyond positive and negative. This is, this is the benefit of understanding the words, the holy man or the holy ones correctly. Now we're just ordinary commoners, we're just common people, and we're still trapped under the power of positive and negative. So something positive comes by and we fall in love with it, or something negative comes by and we hate it, we get angry or, or afraid of it. This is how it is for the ordinary common people. We get what we want and it makes us happy. We lose something that we like and it, it makes us, it makes us sad. We, we go to maybe some exciting gymnastics show or the circus or a movie and it excites us, it makes us glad, it makes us laugh. Or we, we see a corpse and it depresses us, it makes us morose and sad. This is how it is for ordinary commoners constantly being knocked around by positive and negative, blindly reacting, constantly getting glad and sad over all these things, just gladness and sadness back and forth, laughing and crying all the time for the, the ordinary commoner. If we've begun to see that this is the state of, of our own lives and maybe started to get a little tired of it, a little bit bored with all this all this wasted time and energy. Then we start to look for a way out of it. And then we'll, we'll start to appreciate the Dhamma, which is the way out, the only way of getting out of all this, this entrapment, all this, this slavery. And then when we start to appreciate that the Dhamma is that which is beyond the positive and negative, it has nothing to do with positive or negative, good or bad, then we can see the, the power in it, the ability in the Dhamma to, 
to free us, to liberate us. These are the facts of the matter. Now, whether you like this or not is, is something else. But the way, the way things work, all these, all these people laughing and crying, getting glad, getting sad, that's one thing. But if one wants to understand the facts, then it comes down to Dhamma, and the Dhamma has nothing to do with positive or negative. You may not like this. You may not, you may not, it may not make you happy. It may not excite you. But this is just the way, the way things are. If you don't like it, that's up to you. You're free to like it or dislike it. But we'd like you to understand the facts. There's a word that most of you probably won't like, but it's, it's worth talking about anyway. This is the word still, the word still or stillness. This is something that people aren't very interested in anymore, but that's, that's their own problem. Still or stillness means the mind that doesn't have to move anymore, the mind that isn't shaken, isn't pushed or pulled. This stillness of the mind that is no longer moved or influenced by positive and negative. This stillness is a quality of the Holy One. Now, ordinary commoners, common people, they see this as something abnormal. Common people look on, look on stillness, on being still, as ordinary, as abnormal. To the commoner, running around chasing after positive and running away fleeing from the negative. This is what people think is ordinary, is normal. And so they look at stillness as abnormal. But their perspective is, is warped and distorted. If we see things, if we see things carefully, we'll see that in fact the stillness is what is ordinary. If we look deep into our own hearts, we'll see that the stillness is what is, is normal and that, that all that chasing after the positive and running from the negative, that's what is what's abnormal, is what is neurotic and, and crazy. And so this, this stillness, this quality of the Holy One, this is what's truly, truly normal. With this stillness, Positive and negative no longer has any power. There's no need to cling to anything as positive or negative. There's no, no need to feel that anything is good or bad. We don't have to look on things as, as winning or losing. Or, or we, it won't lead to the one who is, is still doesn't need to laugh or cry. With this stillness, one finds true, true freedom. And so you may not like it, that's, that's your own business. But the fact of the matter is like this, so we feel it's our duty to, to let you know about it. This stillness is a very important aspect of, of Dhamma, and the way of studying it is what we'll, we'll look at next. I've been asked to explain things a little bit further. The word still for people might be a little bit frightening. And so a word that might be more easier for you un to understand is the word equilibrium. 
equilibrium or, or balance, even-mindedness. This is, this is what we mean by stillness. The mind that is out of balance is the one that's being pulled around, knocked around by positive and negative, by good and bad. But the Holy One has a mind that's completely balanced, has a perfect equilibrium where these, these positive and negative ideas or attachments have no, no power over it. So if, if you can understand what we mean by equilibrium, then you'll understand what the, the mind of the Holy One is like, and you'll have a better understanding of what we're practicing for. When we, <clears throat> when we see a beautiful woman or a, a handsome man walking towards us, we, it's possible to have equilibrium. Or when seeing a, a corpse, a rotting corpse, it's also possible to have equilibrium. But the, the commoner can't do that. The commoner is judging things as positive and negative and leading to desires and envy and, and fear and worry and everything. This is because the commoner loses that equilibrium. That equilibrium's there, it's, it's fundamental at the, the core of the heart. But the commoner can't keep that equilibrium, is always being pulled out of it. And when this equilibrium, this balance is lost, then the mind falls into positive and negative, good and bad, laughing and crying. The natural wisdom of the mind is lost. The, the, the awareness, the alertness, the carefulness, the, the balance, the freedom in life, all these are lost when we lose this, if this equilibrium is lost. But if we can maintain that equilibrium, then we can, it's possible to understand what's taking place, to see the causes and conditions that are working themselves out, and it's possible to to act wisely, to respond correctly in a healthy way to whatever is taking place. All this is possible if this equilibrium can be maintained. And then there is a stillness, a peacefulness in the mind. We ought to be very interested in protecting, maintaining this, this equilibrium. If we have need of activeness of mind, then it's absolutely necessary to maintain this equilibrium. If the equilibrium is lost, then we, we get dragged off into the positive and negative, and all kinds of energy and alertness are wasted. But by, by maintaining the equilibrium, then the mind can be incredibly active. It has tremendous power and strength. This mind that has equilibrium, that is no longer knocked around by positive and negative, this mind that is, that is free, has all the power to act, to do whatever needs to be done. When there's a need for action, this mind has the capability to act properly. But the mind that's out of balance is incapable of acting, acting well. It might get by but it never, it never gets by in a, a truly healthy way. So keeping this equilibrium is absolutely, is of great benefit in all the things we need to do in life. 
in our ordinary work, our, our, our relationships of family and friend, everything we must do. If we have this equilibrium, we can act, the mind can act in, with, in the best possible way. This is of tremendous benefit if we can achieve it. The, the true, pure, real, genuine Dhamma is, has nothing at all to do with, with positive or negative. There's nothing positive or negative about genuine Dhamma. Real Dhamma is absolutely free of any, any aspect or any meaning or any sense of positiveness or negativeness. Positiveness and negativeness can't, can't touch, can't touch Dhamma. If, if we understand this, if we can understand this Dhamma that is completely free of positive and negative, if we can have it and use it, then, then we'll be ourselves completely free of the meanings of positiveness and negativeness. And then the mind will have tremendous power, tremendous efficiency, great, will have great capability to do whatever must be done. Understanding this Dhamma and having this Dhamma, seeing that the real Dhamma, the real meaning of Dhamma is neither negative nor positive, completely free of negative and positive, no aspect of positivity or negativity or what have you. This, this Dhamma will give the mind all the strength it needs to do whatever it needs. And then the, this mind is not only a mind, it's not just a mind with equilibrium, it's a mind that goes, goes way beyond, is far above the meaning of the word equilibrium. So in the hopes that you can realize this for yourself, we, we're trying to explain it to you as best as we can. Both the positive and the negative are have no reality. There's nothing really real about the positive and the negative. The positive of this person is the negative of that person and the negative of that person is the positive of this person. And things are always going like this. What we take to be the positive and negative is just our personal feelings, our personal prejudices that take things to be positive or negative, depending on our culture, our education, how we've been brought up, how we've been trained, our conditioning, our programming. We, we take things to be positive and negative. These are really just illusions. They're just deluding us, all this positive and negative. There's no real truth to any of it. For example, what some people would consider to be beautiful mu music, and of course they would consider it to be very positive. If you ask a dog, the dog might think it's just a bunch of noise and, and really kind of a pain in the neck, quite annoying. But to some people it's positive, the dog could, could even, couldn't care less. For something to be positive or negative, for us to take them in this way, involves us being being a bit foolish about them. We, we look on things with, with a bit of stupidity and we take them to be positive or negative. And then if we're not careful, that stupidity grows and we get, we really believe 
in this positiveness and negativeness. But in the end, there's, there's no reality to any of this positiveness or negativeness. And this is what this understanding, not only understanding it intellectually, but being able to practice it so that the mind is above any of this positive and negativeness, where the mind no longer makes this mistake, is no longer foolish in the way of positive and negative. This is what the Dhamma is all about. This is why we invite you, encourage you, urge you to take an interest in Dhamma, to, to practice Dhamma, to see, see how it can, can really free, free your lives. So in summary, the Dhamma is that which has nothing to do with positive or negative, which is completely untainted by any sense or meaning of positive or negative. When we've understood this, when we've seen this Dhamma, when we realize this Dhamma that is, has nothing to do with positive or negative, then, then we are above the positive and the negative. Positive and negative things can no longer, can no longer pull us and push us. And when the mind has this, this equilibrium that is no longer, no longer influenced by positive and negative, then there's nothing that can make that mind suffer. There's nothing, nothing that can bring conflict or pain into that mind that is completely above the positive and the negative. And this, so this is what Dhamma practice is about. And at this time, we'd like to end today's meeting. Thank you all for, for being very good listeners for, for the whole hour and a half. Thank you.